From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewinberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Good afternoon, Hoops fans. Welcome to another edition of Home Court. Josh Lewinberg, Dwayne Watson, I'm Megan McPeak. Gentlemen, the Raptors get a very easy and convincing win last night, 120-87 over a very depleted, injury-plagued, and rest-plagued Brooklyn Nets squad. Kyle Lowry, within the first two minutes of that fourth quarter, gets his (laughs) triple-double. As we heard plentiful last night, coach wanted it. I think Kyle Lowry <laughs> might have wanted it a little bit, too. I, I'm sure he he's, he loves just kind of shifting that, that attention. That a blame, I would say, too, because I'm not sure that everyone, certainly on the Brooklyn side of things, was a fan of what was some of the most shameless triple-double hunting I've ever seen. Uh, it, it, it is an interesting conversation because I'm not sure that they'd be so thrilled if that happened to them, if it was another team that was playing a star player. The game was more or less decided beginning of the fourth quarter. Missing shots more or less on purpose so that a guy could get rebounds, having him sort of hunt around in the paint on the other side of the ball defensively so that he can get a rebound and then committing a foul the second that he did. I don't know. I'm not that. I mean, I know what you're saying in terms of obviously everyone knew what was about to happen. Everyone was very aware. It's not a situation where players are not sure they're going to get a triple-double. But, I mean, this is after three quarters. If it was like two minutes left in the game, five minutes left in the game, you know, you're really trying to eke it out. I get it. But, you know, I think it's like like Belichick says, man, play. Play your game. I mean, yeah. it's, right. not, it's not the Raptors' fault. Kyle tripled up on third quarter, and, I mean, he's trying to say he didn't want it was coach. We all know Kyle wanted that triple. Classic, and, classic Patriots, right? I love that. <laughs> That's a great comparison. At yeah. the same time, too, though, like, if you're looking at it from Brooklyn's standpoint, like, don't get Molly Watt by 30. Like, that, if you don't want the guy to be out there in the fourth quarter, don't get Molly Watt by 30. No, I, and I get that. that. And that's definitely a school of thought. Right. But I, I go back to... Uh, the Pacers game last year where Lance Stevenson game already is decided and Stevenson's going in for a, a dunk and the Raptors were not happy about it. And I get that because most teams, there are th- those unwritten rules in basketball. There are quite a few. There are quite a few of them still significantly less than there are in baseball, but there are those unwritten rules in basketball. And one of those is when the game is decided, uh, when one team takes out their star players, the other team takes out their star players as well and also I mean like a triple double is a great thing when you can get it but we've seen this from Russell Westbrook certainly over the years and I think probably the most egregious one was Ricky (laughs) Davis back many years ago is like yeah don't upset the basketball gods if there are such things as basketball gods. I would say no, but Dwayne Casey, funny enough, I mean, he's always talking about that. Respect the game, basketball gods. So I didn't think this was a great look. I, I honestly, I'm going to counter again. I feel there was a lot of time left in the game. If it was like down the stretch where the game, the game was over early, and that's to the Raptors' credit. Um, but You had Tom Brady still in there throwing touchdowns. Well, it wasn't. If it's the beginning of the fourth, he could throw for like, you know, five TDs. All right. I'll take that. No, I and, disagree. And I mean, we heard from Casey, he, whether Kyle got it or not in that first two minutes, like he was pulling Kyle out after two minutes, whether he got it or not, he didn't care. It came down to the fact he was not going to have Kyle in the, in the fourth quarter down the stretch 
at the end of the game. I'll, I'll clarify this. I, I'm, I'm more or less playing devil's advocate here. I personally sure. don't have a huge problem right. with this. I do find it interesting, though, because it's not something I would have expected from the Raptors of all teams because of their experience in similar situations on the other side of things, being upset when another team does something that is questionable in terms of its classiness. Totally fair. I just think that um, there's, there, wasn't, there was a lot of time in the game. And you know what? If 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 Atkinson or the Nets had an issue with it, they they could have you know, like we seen when 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 Lance did that shot, throw down. Those guys got in his face. Yeah, like PJ and Demar got in his face and let him know. And if there was really an issue, I think I guess because Brooklyn is so bad, they just started <laughs> just taking it right. <laughs> when you like when you're looking at, I mean, even to you can throw in the road trip, the the four game road trip, and then they come back home yesterday get the W. They're at home again tomorrow versus Sacramento. What did what have you liked or have not liked looking at this, you know, five game stretch so far? Cause I know Dwayne and you and I were talking about it in post game last night, um, on on ten fifty that it was the road trip was weird in the sense of yeah. it was tough games because to your point, Dwayne, they made it tough on themselves. Yes, yeah. I, I mean what I liked about the road trip is they got three out of four wins. What I didn't like about the road trip is how they got those three wins. It was ugly. Those yeah. were ugly games. And it, on one hand, you could say, well, okay, well, those those are the types of games that Dwayne Casey wants this team to be able to win that maybe they wouldn't have been able to win in years past, winning those ugly, grinded-out games. Granted, they lost one against the Clippers. Uh, But I think we can all rest a little bit easier having seen the win yesterday, a decisive win over a a struggling team, a bad team in the second night of a back-to-back for them. Uh, Because, I I mean, I don't think there was a ton to like on that road trip. No, it wasn't. I think... Uh, I expected that to be a undefeated road trip. I think kind of I wasn't unrealistic in the thought of that in terms of I know it's second game of back to back, but the rest they had beforehand, how this team has played, the depth and balance they've had, and you know losing to the Clippers who barely had any players. The Clippers were basically like the Nets were last night, like a lot of guys injured, a lot of no name guys, and they almost could have won that game. I'm not going to get into the whole JV situation, but. They could have played better in that game. They came back and did what they're supposed to do. But I just feel like this team is trying to be an elite team in the league. They have to do beat teams similar to how they beat the Nets last night. We've been a little bit negative here. And the Raptors have won eight of nine games. So let's go plus here. Okay. The starters over that nine-game stretch have been fantastic. And, I mean, yeah, most teams, the, the starters, should be their strength. So this, in, in most cases, wouldn't be that notable or surprising. But remember, that Raptors starting lineup really stumbled out of the gate this season. Right. And that was after having some chemistry issues after the Sergi Baca trade last year. Could Ibaka and Valanchunas coexist in the front court? We had hoped that a training camp together would help them build that chemistry. And there were a lot of ups and downs early in the year as their young second unit bailed them out and kept them afloat. But now what we're seeing is a group of five guys that are playing great together. I think they're playing great individually. All five of them are are playing, in my opinion, their best basketball of the season at the same time. But it's more than that because they've seemed to really start to kind of understand where each other likes their shots, how to play off of one another. JV and Ibaka have been great together. OG Ananobi has seemed like the perfect fit there. And then, of course, Lowry and DeRozan are doing what Lowry and DeRozan do. A plus 111 
uh, for the starting five over the last nine games. That's the highest uh, plus-minus of any five-man unit in the NBA over that stretch. I like Serge Ibaka. I think you know he is blossoming and evolved into the player that people... He's not the OKC Sidrabaka, obviously. He's a little older. His game has changed a bit. But how you've seen over the last little while, last 10 games, 16 points, 6 boards, over 53% from the field, shooting well from the three-point line, and getting active and on the weak side, help chasing down, making blocks. And I think that... That just sparks everything off. I mean, you want to see the finger wag. You want to see all that stuff. And I think the fact that he is, like you said, getting the ball where he likes it and taking better shots, his play over the last stretch, I think has also helped JB in that regard and the starting unit as a whole. To me, he just looks like a guy that's way more comfortable with his surroundings next to his teammates. It it seemed like it was a bit of a work in progress. There was a bit of a learning curve after the trade. And I mean, Serge is a guy off the court, I think, that generally keeps to himself a little bit. He's a, a... a man of few words, uh, goes about his business, does his job, but over the last few games, I've noticed, even after the game, he's joking around with teammates. He's hanging out with them a little bit more. So I think he's starting to feel comfortable uh, here in Toronto, and, and then certainly on the court, to your point, Dwayne, we've seen him play with a ton more energy. Yeah, we continue on here. We'll have Matt Devlin coming up at 145, and at CBS Sports' James Herbert. He'll talk about how the playoff letdowns in the Raptors. We'll hear from him about that and how things are starting to turn around. Keep it locked. You're listening to Home Court right here on TSN 1050. It's time for Home Court. Contested shots on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Knocked away, kicks it to Pirtle, corner three, the bench stands up, Yaka misses everything. (laughs) Too much pressure, he felt everybody from the bench on his back wanting him to make that shot. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewinberg, Meg McPeak, and this week's Raptors poll question, you can head over to at TSN 1050 Radio on the Twitterverse. Get your votes in. Gentlemen, I'll pose the question to you. DeLon Wright last night made his return after injury with the shoulder. Who should minutes be taken away from in order for DeLon to get some minutes? Because we saw early on in the season before injury, Casey was running with pretty much, if he had a whole roster, everyone was getting some minutes somewhere at some point down the line through the 48-minute game. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, or C.J. Miles? Well, yesterday it was easy. He got yeah. <laughs> C.J. Miles' minutes, Miles out with a shoulder injury. Then he Did he catch that from DeLon? Are those things contagious? I think so. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, that was an easy start to, I guess, the, the minute distribution conundrum. But uh, eventually Miles is going to come back, and then the Raptors are going to have the same sort of good problem they had earlier in the year with too many guys for too few rotation Spots. I think the correct answer to that poll is the minutes will probably come from everybody, two from maybe each of them. But I will say it's one of those things on a night-to-night basis where you sort of have to see what's working, go with the hot hand as well as go with the matchup. There are going to be some matchups against smaller teams where you're going to want more ball handlers out there. And while I think a lot of people... Probably look at Fred Van Vliet as the other point guard and say, okay, well, his minutes get cut now. We know Casey loves to ride with two point guards with that second unit. And remember, DeLon and Fred were playing together before DeLon's injury, and Fred has been playing so well since DeLon went down. So I think right now, Norman Powell is the guy that stands out amongst that group as the player that's not 
playing especially well. So I think currently he'd be the guy that that sees fewer minutes as a result of Wright being back. Looking at the poll right now, 38% for Fred, 37 for Norm Powell, 19 for Colin, 6 for CJ Miles. So they're close to agreeing with you. I think one key thing you said there is that right in the hot hand. I mean, before the injuries happened, Coach Case was playing a number of guys, and we're wondering this can't be sustainable for how long he's always playing these guys. So play the guys that work for the right matchups. I mean, you mentioned Fred's improvement in the absence of Norm Powell. He's really been that guy. But Coach Casey also likes doing that two-point guard lineup. So I'm saying Kyle Lowry in the sense of obviously he plays really well at the second units, but if you could buy minutes for him and you've got those two point guards that they're doing work, Fred's obviously better. Delon is rounding back in the form. But let's try and get less minutes for Kyle Lowry and get those guys the minutes they need. Now the concern is that second unit has really struggled over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasant surprise early in the year in the way that they were able to withstand stretches without Lowry or DeRozan out on the floor. They'd run out those five-man bench units, and not only would they tread water, but they would actually increase the lead. Now, they've been having rough stretches that would force Dwayne Casey to throw Lowry back in there. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out now. I really think that group missed DeLon Wright. Having him out there, another ball handler, playmaker, shot creator, I think will help take some of the pressure off the struggling Norman Powell, who, by the way, was better definitely last that, night. Yeah. Um, so I think that the return of DeLon helps. I think when C.J. Miles gets back out there, that helps as well because, of course, he brings sort of that offensive punch with that group. It doesn't sound like a serious no. injury for him. Um, so, And you're right, with, with, with DeLon's ability to get to the paint and create and pass out, yeah. guys like C.J. Miles are totally going to benefit from that. So it's still time to shape it up and figure it out, but I mean... It's a luxury. It's a good concern for Coach Casey to have. Good problem. Even, even guys like Norm can benefit from the way that Delon plays with with the attack because when you see the way that he attacks, and especially we saw it early on, defenses had to converge on him, and you would sometimes see like two and three guys converging on Delon, which means you're going to have two or three guys open on the perimeter, which can allow Norm to still even attack off the dribble as well off of a pass because. When you when they when they've been moving the ball the way they have, when you look at the fact they're you know you're getting 26 assists night in and night out from them, the more they're moving the ball, the more times the defense is going to be on their toes. So more guys are going to be able to attack, and that might be what Norm needs as well too. But I think last night was really what Norm needed because he seemed more like himself last well, night. Whenever we've seen Norm struggle, I, I mean he, he was great in his first two seasons, but he had moments, games, little stretches here and there where he'd go, where he'd have mini slumps, and then certainly to begin this season and over the last few weeks, it, it's always the same thing that we're noticing. It's it's Norm trying to do yeah. Yeah. too much, right? So having a guy like Wright out there who's able to take some of that pressure off, take that that load as the ball handler and the uh, playmaker. Uh, that that should help him and allow him to sort of settle down, let the game come to him a little bit. He was forcing way too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was a, as you mentioned a, a bit better yesterday, but over the last couple of weeks, just uh, taking on two, three defenders at a time, uh, going to the rim with that tunnel vision that we saw from Demar Derozan early in his career, and that's where I think this is a great comparison because with time and experience, we saw the game slow down and options open up for Derozan mm-hmm. as he'd go to the rim. All of a sudden, he'd use those drives as an opportunity to create looks for other players. Whereas Norm, I think, is still figuring out how to do that. And that's the next step in his evolution. Yeah, and it took, we, we've seen DeMar's career. It took DeMar a while to find, to, to be that facilitator. And I mean, I think, as you mentioned, the luxury of seeing what's happening now, and DeMar's right there to say, hey, 
This is a don't wait as long as I learned to make that mistake in terms of sharing the ball. But what I liked last night with Normans, he got back defensively. Like Nick Deskis had a really strong first half and he locked down on him and basically negated him for the whole third quarter. So his defense is going to be, get better. The rest of the game should hopefully come easier for him. And that's Casey's thing. We asked Dwayne the other day, what do you do with Norm when he's struggling? Do you allow him? to play through it, to learn through those mistakes as they did in Phoenix when he went 0 for 6? Or do you say, okay, well, we've got depth, we've got other guys now, you've got to sit and learn from the bench. Mm -hmm. And Casey sort of said it's a little bit of both depending on the situation, but his defense will determine whether or not he's out there, whether or not shots are falling. He's got to remember that uh, he he has to make his mark on the defensive end. Yeah, and I I think that to your point, Josh, and even to your point, Dwayne, like if he can continue to get after guys defensively, which allowed him to be the guy that, you know, two years ago when Damari Carroll went down with the injury, he was inserted into the lineup back and forth and back and forth and sort of flipping around. That allowed him to be him and it made a name and kind of, as I like to say, I said it to you, Dwayne, I feel like he hadn't had a chance to hit a rookie wall. Because yeah. he was so focused on it defensively, he didn't have to worry about offense because he knew he was it was coming from somewhere else because he had guys like Kyle, DeMar. At that time, Patrick Patterson was relied upon for offense, although we didn't get much to, from it. But he knew that he had to be the defensive stopper, so he didn't have to worry about it. But now you need a little bit of offense from him as well as the defense. And I think he's focused too much mentally, I'm just guessing, mentally on, okay, i got to give them something offensively, and it has taken him back on the defensive end. And he was never a regular rotation player, at least not right. for a long stretch of time. It was sort of sporadic where Damari Carroll would go out, he would step in, and then, of course, he played a big role in the playoffs the last two years, but this is really his first season being a regular rotation player Mm -hmm. from start to presumably finish. So yeah, maybe there is a little bit of rookie wall here. And what I wrote yesterday is we sort of think is of Norm outside of the realm of these young Raptors. When we think about the young Raptors, we talk about DeLon Wright and Pascal Siakam, Yaka Pertle, the guys that are really getting their first chance at this, at these expanded roles right. this year. But Norm, for many people going into the season, it seemed like he had graduated into a different tier because we had more of a sample size with him, I guess. But he's still just 24. He's still young. He's still learning. And you can't cheat father time. Uh, everyone's yeah. got to go yeah. through these things. <laughs> everyone's got to learn through their mistakes and at focusing on defense when things aren't going right offensively. Yeah, I mean that's what he has to do, but it's probably easier said than done. As they say when it rains it pours and we saw that in Phoenix, he'd miss uh, an open shot. Then he'd miss a layup that he probably is used to making 99 times out of 100. Then there's a turnover. Then there's a missed defense. And it gets in your head. It all builds up. He was looking at the bench after every miss as if to say, okay, well, is is this when I get pulled? So all of a sudden your confidence starts to waver. And that's when you do lose focus on the defensive end. So for for Norm, like a lot of young players on the wraps and throughout the league, it's about confidence and it's about patience.
and consistency, right? And I think you, know, you mentioned that the fact that we look at Norm differently is because he played in the playoffs as a young player and right. had meaningful minutes. So we kind of ex- not expect more of him, but he's shown us what he can do. So like he's going to find that role. And I mean, not to compare him to, from a skill set at all, but you know, Andre Roberson on the OKC Thunder, he's a guy who's a defensive guy, but almost a liability on on mm-hmm. offense. And Norm isn't that kind of player, but there has to be a balance. He can't be a defensive stopper, and teams can leave him. He's got to be able to get offense like he did last night. Well, that's another DeRozan comparable where we say that uh, early in DeRozan's career, it was like, okay, well, he was a scorer. And if he wasn't scoring, he probably didn't have much of an impact on the game. Right. Over the years, he still has his issues defensively, obviously, but DeMar, even on his off nights where the ball's not going in, he, he normally finds a way to have a positive impact. Yep. That's something that Norman Powell needs to learn how to do. And for him, that needs to happen on the defensive end. We can talk more about what we saw from Norm and what Matt Devlin saw from Norm. He'll be joining us at 145. We might even get into a little OKC later on in the show. We've got a lot to cover from not only the Raptors, but around the NBA. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back. Inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters, home court here with you this afternoon until 3 p.m. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg. Gentlemen. You're too kind to us, gentlemen. <laughs> so formal. Boys. Boys, guys, guys gents, homies. Folks. Compadres. We get the Vince Carter is returning to Toronto tomorrow Uh, with the Sacramento Kings as they come to town. Another team, the Raptors, should easily get Kyle a triple-double in the third quarter. Uh, (laughs) And maybe the first two minutes of the fourth. But we saw in the 20th anniversary of the Raptors, they did the tribute. Vince got teary-eyed, whether he had just had an onion peeled in front of him or it was real emotions. Some visine. Savage. We'll, we'll never know. Savage. Um, no, no, I'm that just joking. Was real. I'm just joking. <laughs> in in all seriousness, though, it's tough because you want, like, for me as a fan of Vince Carter, mm-hmm. growing up and watching basketball, especially the Raptors, like, during that time, you want Vince Carter to be Vince Carter. Yeah. You put him and up on that pedestal. Right. Yeah. But knowing, like, like, you, you almost want to put a disclaimer out to fans that are coming to tomorrow's game. Like, disclaimer, he's just a shell of himself. Get there early for warm-ups because that's when you'll see all the highlights. Yeah. Because that's typically what we've seen, all the videos of him this year with the dunks that he's still been able to put down. It's all been in warm-ups. He can still dunk, that's for yep. sure. I mean, it, I can't think, and I've been saying this for years, I, I can't think of a an athlete who's had more of a complicated relationship with a city than Vince Carter and Toronto. I mean, think about how drastically the narrative has changed back and forth over the years from uh, the hero of all heroes, a guy who put the Raptors on the map and was the brightest star really in the NBA at the time to a guy that broke hearts, became a quick uh, villain for over a decade here, booed relentlessly whenever he'd come back, and now it's done, I think, another 180 where people are sort of softening on Vince again. There's been a lot written and uh, put together on him over the last couple years, and all of a sudden people are looking back at, if nothing else in hindsight, the impact that he's had on the Raptors franchise, the city of Toronto, 
country of Canada and, of course, basketball in the country. And I think there's a newfound appreciation for Vince. But what I always go back to is how much has he embraced that impact that he's had on Toronto? I always, I mean, the natural comparison is to the guys probably right below him on the hierarchy of best Raptors ever, DeRozan and Lowry. And certainly those guys, if they've had a massive impact on Toronto, which of course they have, it's been intentional. Uh, they've resigned here. They've made the decision to stay here and do uh, make uh, an impact in the community as, they've, as they have. But Vince, if he's a hero in Toronto... It's almost accidental, isn't it? He just so happened to be wearing Raptors across his chest at the right time when a star was the brightest. He came into the league, was an instant sensation. But ever since then, I mean, he's a guy that has clearly preferred to avoid the spotlight at all costs, whether that's here in Toronto or around the league, making decisions over the last few years instead of chasing rings or coming back here to Toronto when he's had the opportunity to do that. The Raptors, I've been told, offered him a contract over the summer. They had serious interest in him, and he decided instead to go to Sacramento or Memphis to play out the rest of his career. So, uh, I mean, he's a polarizing figure in this city, and I'm not quite sure what to make of his legacy right now because I don't think... He's a villain. He was never the villain that he was painted out to be. But I'm not quite sure that he's this hero that people are looking at him as right now either. I'm giving you a slow clap. Because I really like the accidental hero part. I think that's, that's really, you really hit the nail on the head with that. Because is he a hero? Is he a villain? It's, he didn't really try and be a hero, but he did a lot. But he's not, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't. His level of giving back to the, to the city, even while he was here, was, I mean, there was the Vince Carter summer basketball game, but. He was never really invested in the city. And, I mean, he's influenced, you know, scores of generations of players who play, who are Canadian and not Canadian, like Kevin Durant. But it kind of that, that the, it dies there. And for me, I think there's two schools of thought on Raptors fans. There's the older fans who were there and really lived through that Vince Carter situation who are kind of over him. And then the generation of people who kind of, like, almost lived off the fantasy and legacy and memories and that stuff as well, mm-hmm. who are now, like, kind of coming through and seeing the game. And I think... You know, the Raptors did try and get him, of course, and I think he was still serviceable at that point, but he went for more money in Sacramento. And to me, I mean, I think Vince's argument is that I don't want to be a ring chaser, but, you know, that that's the opportunity to come back to the franchise that you helped build and help them get to the next level. And I think that's kind of like what he should be doing. That would really, I think that's a way to cement your legacy. Everyone's wired differently, of course. He, right. Just because you, you love the game, you love to play, which clearly he does. He could have called it quits years ago. Um, doesn't mean that you're necessarily Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, that you need to win championships or you need to be the center of attention. And that's what makes Vince different and, and makes Vince so interesting to me because you're right. I, I mean, he, he went to Memphis. He went to Sacramento. Now, Memphis was winning at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But those are both places where, let's face it, there's not much media attention. Uh, if he would have went to, and I'm sure he had lots of options to go to teams like Golden State, Cleveland, be a, a contributor off the bench for a team that has a chance to win a championship, there's a spotlight there. It's not necessarily on him, but he'd have to speak quite a bit. He'd have to, he'd have media responsibilities. There would yep. be a lot of attention on him. I'm not sure how often, if at all, he speaks in Sacramento. And, and here, from a media standpoint, I'm not sure how much people care about the media side of things. But I can tell you this. Last year, Vince was here with, with Memphis. 
He was questionable going into that game, so we were told he wasn't going to speak at shoot-around. He was going to speak before the game. Ruled out just before the game, and the Memphis's policy is if a player isn't playing, he doesn't have to speak to the media. Right. But exceptions can be made. They're made all the time. When DeLon Wright returned to Utah with the Raptors for the first time after, after getting drafted two years ago, he was injured. He didn't play. He spoke to the media there because he wanted to speak. It meant something of to course. him. Vince chose last year not to speak. And from what I hear via the Kings PR department, he doesn't intend on speaking before the game tomorrow right. either. Yep. That's a decision that he's making. I, again, I'm not sure how much people care about something like that. Right. But that's, to me, what I've seen from Vince Carter over the years. He's a guy that wants to avoid the spotlight here in Toronto, wants to avoid the Toronto media, uh, chose not to come back here and instead sign for a few extra million dollars in Sacramento where he can hide from the spotlight. That's why, for me, I I have a hard time with the way the narrative is being shaped. And let's face it, Vince Carter's number, number 15, that jersey is being retired at the Air Canada Center. I guess it's going to be the... Scotiabank Arena. By then, yes. His... Number is being retired in Toronto. That's happening. Whether you like it or not, you yeah. can bet on it. It's How inevitable. Do you feel about that? I don't feel great about it because for me, to retire a player's jersey, you've got to check off one of two boxes. Ideally, both of them. One, I think you need longevity in the city. Uh, Vince Carter, regardless of how long he was here for, really only had three impactful seasons with the team his first three years after that the injuries hit questions of how hard he was trying the i'm not gonna dunk anymore saga three years the second box you need to check is contribution to significant team success they made the playoffs for the first time ever his second year they won around in his third year but that was basically it so for me he doesn't check off Either of these boxes, yes, absolutely. He had an undeniable impact on basketball in Canada. Again, I think a lot of that is accidental, and I'm not sure that that's what's required. I don't think that's what's required to retire a player's jersey. When DeRozan and Lowry hang it up at the end of their careers, I think they've checked. They've certainly checked that first box in terms of longevity. Uh, they've taken this team further than they've ever gone before, and. Uh, they're still going, so we don't know what else they're going to accomplish. I think both of them are are clear um, situation scenarios where you retire their jerseys. I don't think that's the case with Vince, but it's happening. It it is happening. I'm not a super big fan of his legacy, but and I'm not trying to use the Canada basketball thing because you're right, that doesn't necessarily correlate, but he was one of the most, the biggest players in the NBA when he was a Raptor. Yep. Right. Numbers of All-Stars. He inspired all these kids that yeah. are now going to the but, NBA. Fair, but we're not going to use it as part of the, 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 jersey, legacy. the, legacy, the Raptors' legacy, yep. right? But uh, in terms of, I'm not trying to compare the Raptors to Vancouver because obviously Vancouver had a lot of mismanagement issues, but he was able to keep a lot of interest and awareness and excitement on the Raptors as a basketball team in a market that was new to basketball. So I'm, so I'm not saying he kept the Raptors alive, but in a sense he did. So I, with those things, I kind of would give him I would give. I would, I'd be okay with his jersey being retired. I think he's. Done I'd be okay with them honoring him in some way, but I don't know. I, to see <laughs> you, that number fifteen, Amir Johnson's you, number fifteen, up in the Raptors. Let me ask you from this standpoint quickly before, because we we got to go. We're up against the clock. Would you be more comfortable with it if it happened after Demar and Kyle's retirement, like jersey retirement? Well, I mean, it would. It would, but, but if in a in a perfect world, if it could, would that 
be more comfortable? It doesn't really make a difference. I mean, it, it, that's just not realistic. DeMar's, what, 28? So he's still got... Yeah. Could have another ten if years to go. Like LeBron, you never. If know. he's they anything like Vince, scoring. he could play till he's forty. Yeah. I mean, good. Like Vince's career. Vince has had a great career, and I don't want that to get lost in any of this mm-hmm. conversation here because it does seem like I'm pretty anti Vince Carter. <laughs> uh, Vince has had a great career. I admire him for a lot of things. Playing till 40, 20 years in the league, but I, I think, like, like I said, he's not a villain. He's not a hero. He's just Vince Carter, and I think a lot of people need to see him that way rather than try and put him on that pedestal that he hasn't necessarily earned here in Toronto. We'll continue on here. Coming up, 145, Matt Devlin will join us in at 2 o'clock, CBS Sports. James Herbert and 2.30, we'll talk Trey Lyles and Jamal Murray with Adam Mayers of Denver Stiffs. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Home Court on TSN 1050. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back to Home Court right here on TSN. Josh Lewenberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. Joining us now on the line, he is the voice you always hear on TV. He likes to get Jack to sing. The play-by-play voice of the Toronto Raptors, Matt Devlin, joining us now on the line. Matty D, thank you so much for taking some time. We truly appreciate it during the holiday season. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Matt, when you look at these past five games and... I want to ask more about Norman Powell just because last night he kind of seemed like he got back to himself and Dwayne has mentioned it and Josh reiterated it and it seemed that he bought in back on the defensive side what he made a name for himself. Do you feel that's that's what he needs to turn the corner back into the positive light, especially on the offensive end? Oh, I think so. I think, you know, Norman, when you look at what he has done and how he got his contract was based upon what he can do from a defensive standpoint, you extend out. I thought he struggled. If you go back to the regular, you know, early part of the the season when he was in the starting lineup, I thought he was forcing the action too much. Uh, OG, you know, certainly is a better fit in the starting unit. When he came back, uh, he fit right in. He had five straight games of double figures, but then it almost looked like he was, you know, going back to trying to maybe do a little bit too much offensively, not allowing the game to come to him. Um, and last night it was important, I felt, specifically for that entire second unit, not just Norman Powell, and I know CJ was out, but uh, they needed to get back to who they were prior to the last uh, week and a half. So, you know, hopefully yesterday was a step in the right direction for Norman Powell. Hopefully it was a step in the right direction for the rest of the bench as well. Matt, when DeLon Wright dislocated his shoulder a month ago yesterday, I think a lot of people feared the worst. So certainly it was great to see him back out there uh, so quickly uh, a month later last night. Uh, but now, of course, the depth conversation restarts at the point guard position. You got three guys, Van Vliet, who was playing really well in DeLon's absence, as well as Kyle, of course. If you're Dwayne Casey going forward, how do you manage minutes at that point guard position? Well, that's certainly a question, right, Josh, for Dwayne. And, and as we know, these things typically have a way of working themselves out. Um, and so, you know, for the Raptors, we'll have to wait and see. But Fred Van Vliet has played at a high level. The one dimension that he provides is the ability, and I know the last two games, three games, he struggled shooting the three, but he can shoot the ball a lot better 
you know, than DeLon, right? DeLon, though, provides an immense amount of length. It's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. Last night, it really wasn't a factor. Why? No C.J. Miles, you're up big. You're able to use a lot of different combinations. But that is one of the intriguing things that we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I felt that Fred Van Vliet with DeLon out finally kind of felt some freedom where he didn't feel the pressure of, oh, you know, am I, if I don't make this shot, if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to automatically be taken out. Instead, he had that ability to play through some mistakes and get minutes anyway. And going back to Norm, I think Norm is affected by that as well. Uh, so it is going to be something to keep an eye on what Dwayne decides to do with both Fred and DeLon. Now, here in the early part, Josh, with DeLon, you know, he's, I wouldn't expect him to get heavy minutes as they work his way back in. Uh, so we'll see how they register that. Matt, I know we can talk about your Boston College Eagles for the next 10 minutes beating Duke and all. Yeah, I mean, that was, I was actually impressed by that. You know, I mean, it's not every day that uh, you beat a number one. Um, and certainly if you're Boston College, who has, you know, struggled really uh, since uh, Craig Smith and Jared Dudley left town, and that's been a long time, uh, as we all know. So uh, it was good to see. As long as you get to talk about your Eagles. But um, in terms of the Raptors, obviously, I'm really happy with Serge's play of late. He's doing everything right, a defensive end as well as shooting the ball. How do you think his play has benefited JV on the inside? Well, you know, I think when you have the ability, you know, to step outside, knock down shots, I think that that's a great benefit uh, to Jonas because it frees him up to operate um, down low. And I also think, too, that as we all know, this is a matchup game for Valanchunas, and he's had the right matchups here uh, over the course of the last week. And I think that that certainly is something. Uh, you know, that, you know, people forget that, uh, you know, not every team has a traditional big. Not every team, as we know, wants to finish with a traditional big on the floor, especially if they don't make free throws. Valanchunas can. Uh, so we saw him in Phoenix, you know, finish a game, which was great to see. We saw against the Clippers where he didn't. Uh, there was some question to whether or not that was the way to go. But they decided in the next game, you know what, okay, let's ride out JV. That was only, at that time, the second game in which he played 30 or more minutes this season. So if you're going to be out there, maximize it. Valanchunas, you can tell, is playing with more confidence. And to your point, and I think it's a great point, you know, with the success that Serge is having. Specific, look, at Serge is becoming that 3 and D, or is that 3 and D guy that we saw when he was at Oklahoma City. And I think that that's really important because he has a string of now 16 straight games where he's had one or more blocks, but he's also shooting that three at a high rate. So you have to defensively pay attention to him, which then creates obviously opportunities for JV down low. Matt, I want to look ahead to tomorrow. Of course, Vince Carter and the Kings in town and a Vince return used to bring out the boo birds in full force but we've seen sort of a a change in the narrative over the last few years probably stemming from uh vince being honored for the 20th anniversary getting that ovation and all of a sudden the stance for a lot of people seemed to soften on vince we were just talking about that how have you seen the narrative shift over the last few years well i think that the narrative shifts because of the canadian players uh, who have been immensely impacted uh, by Vince um, that are now playing at the NBA level. And I think that when you hear Corey Joseph or you hear Tristan Thompson or Nick Stauskitz speak 
about Vince Carter and the impact that they had when they were growing up, you know, here in the GTA, um, that that changed the narrative. You know, the players changed the narrative. You know, players are the ones that I think help, you know, uh, you know, the wound to be healed uh, because he did have that great effect, um, not only on this city, uh, but certainly on the country in basketball. And I think everybody agrees that it didn't end the way that anybody wanted it to. And for those that were here at this time, and I wasn't, but I've had lengthy conversations with those that were here at this time, they said it was not handled well on either side. Um, and I'm sure if there was an opportunity to go back and redo it, both sides would. Um, but I think the narrative changes because of the great impact that he's had uh, on Canadian basketball and the fact that the Canadian basketball players that are now playing at the NBA level and those that will eventually make it that are currently playing NCAA look back and say, you know what, it was Vince Carter. You know, Vince Carter uh, really, you know, got me dreaming about uh, achieving, you know, this goal. And what is the goal is making the NBA. And now here it is for the second consecutive year that Canada has the second most players in the NBA outside of the United States. Matt, we appreciate you taking some time, and we appreciate your insight. Anytime. Thank you so much. Once again, Raptors play-by-play voice. You can hear him here on TSN TV, NBA TV. Everywhere. Everywhere. It's Matt Devlin. And interesting insight. And he was, he was out of all the guys that cover, you know, you've got Leo, Rod, Jack, Sherm, Jonesy. Devlin's He's got the, the best hair. Devlin's, That's what you're about, <laughs> this, right? For sure. Devlin's the one that wasn't around for any of the Vince Carter time. So yeah. he can kind of have a different aspect and a different look into what has transpired. Sure. I was a season ticket holder when um, that stuff was going down. So <laughs> I have a different perspective as well. So I'll leave it at that. That's though. what's so fascinating about it. Everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has... Uh, a story in the way that they remember what happened and what it meant to them if you were around in the city. And I, I mean, that's sort of what makes Vince, as I said, so polarizing is you remember those moments. Where were you when you heard about that trade? What was your reaction? Where right. were you when he won the slam dunk contest? There's been so many highs and lows in the Vince Carter Toronto relationship, and that's what makes it so unique. Lisa Marie's basement after the Transway tournament. That's where I was after that dunk competition. We continue on here. James Herbert will join us of CBC Sports coming up on the other side. Two o'clock, we'll talk Raptors and playoff woes. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050.